0: I want to thank both of you for for coming on to this sort of special episode of my podcast to talk about the strike and how it's affecting uh, your opinions about how it's affecting people who sit on the margins, who are writers, who aren't a part of the top 1% of the WGA, and looking to sort of dispel some myths about what people think is going on and why the strike is, is happening. Um, But the first question I have for, for you both is um, when the idea of the, of the strike first came up, where were you in your sort of careers to say, you know what, I think a strike is very important at this moment.
1: Yeah. I, I knew, we knew that a strike was coming at least. I feel like we had all talked about that or or it had been percolating for a while now and you know I was actually in the middle of development as I imagine a lot of folks were so that means that my the show that I was working on it wasn't quite greenlit yet um we were still in negotiation so it was actually a really difficult time to agree that this is the best thing to do but I also knew that coming out on the other end of this I would be more protected. All of the writers that we hire would be more protected. We would have more funds. We would have a better livelihood for all of our staff and our support staff. So to me, it just made a lot of sense. And it, it definitely is helpful to see that it had worked in the past. I think I wasn't in the WGA back in 2007 when they had mm-hmm. the first strike. But seeing that we did it successfully, I was like, I don't know why anyone would try us again, right. but we already <laughs> proved that we could do this. So I think that was really helpful. Two of my showrunners on a past show that I wrote on were strike captains. Mm-hmm. And that was like, year, like two years ago that they had kind of warned us about this, this impending strike that might happen. So they had kind of given us a heads up of what they did as strike captains, which I, what I'm saying is having veteran members who have successfully gone through this has been really helpful mm-hmm. for me being, you know, newer-ish to the WGA.
0: What about you, Steven?
2: Um, well, I have, I'm also a a DGA member, so, you know, the the last year and a half, almost two years now, since Hose ended, um, I've been focused primarily on development of new ideas, and then I've been directing episodically, kind Mm -hmm. of bouncing around other people's projects, so, um just before the strike i was in the midst of completing uh you know a, a rewrite on a draft of a pilot so i've sort of been dabbling in like a little bit of everything i've mm-hmm. been writing but i was also directing and i've been executive producing as well
0: what are some of since the strike has happened what are some of the things that you've seen from you know people who are not you know a part of the wga and not necessarily pre pre wga either that have sort of like rubbed you the wrong way like anything where it's like wrong information wrong perceptions I mean I've seen a couple of things online like people think all writers are like rich and like everybody lives at the top of Beverly Hills because they write for a show and I have to explain to people like maybe less than three percent live that lifestyle most people go into work they write they get paid and then they wait for the next job so just wondering some of the things you've heard that have been like oh that's bullshit
1: I think that, I think also like just, I've been trying to educate the general public because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times the troll comments are from people that aren't even in our industry. Right. And like you said, they think that all writers are millionaires <laughs> and especially queer. I know we've spoken up a lot about POC writers and queer writers. I mean, I feel like that's just not the case at all. And we're a lot of times struggling to even be seen or have our stories be seen or recognized or, or paid our worth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's educating the general public. And one thing that I always would tell people when you're being interviewed is like, if, cause you know, pe- people would come up and like put a camera in our faces. And so I always tell everyone like we're asking, and this is factual, we're asking for less than 2% of profits, less than 2% and it's not anything that we, they're not profits that don't exist. These are profits that we have made them, they exist. Mm-hmm. We're not asking for anything that isn't there. Mm-hmm so and and it's less than two percent and i think when the general public hears that they're like oh that's why my television schedule is being messed up right now mm-hmm. they, you guys less than two percent we're like yes so i think that's a big thing is educating you know the general population that's not in our telling our friends and our family and everyone that's not in our business um so they can combat some of this misinformation
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think to echo what Danny's saying, I mean, I'm sure everyone who's listening has, or hopefully everyone who's listening have read the, you know, there's the Vulture article, I believe it was Vulture, there's a New York Times piece as well, kind of outlining um, the the truth of what it means to be a working writer in this industry. And Mm -hmm. I, I think that really what's come to light is that the vast majority of writers are if they're not just surviving, mm-hmm. um, then they're making just enough to to survive, just enough to sort of make a, a decent living, um, which I know I'll speak for myself and say, my, my friends who are not in the industry were very, very surprised to hear that. And I think that they assumed that the vast majority of folks, or if, if not all folks who are working in the industry at all levels were making you know, an abundance of of cash when that really isn't the case.
0: Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong. Um, because as I've been on the different picket lines and I've learned a lot of different information, um, you know, with the com- with the incoming of streaming, streaming has presented a lot more opportunities for for marginalized communities. However, because of the way that the system is set up. And this sort of hierarchical pyramid that exists with these marginalized communities being on the bottom, they make the least and it's harder for them to be promoted. I want to make sure I I understand the basis of that or if you guys can sort of elaborate on why this this may be hitting marginalized communities the hardest
1: you know i think we talk a lot about having to be um twice as experienced quite we're seen as a risk still i i still have seen that despite my resume and um Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, you know my, but 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 that's all to say um a lot of times they make us repeat levels i think that's kind of also what you're talking about mm-hmm not seeing this um you know I'm sure there's been articles out about how the the uh, middle level writers it's almost non-existent now so you either have veteran people that have been here for a long time um that are showrunners and we have a lot of our staff writers who are not personally my um I've done a lot of work with uh Berlanti and they luckily don't at least the people that I've worked with have allowed me to bump up every single year which I you do a year's worth of being a staff writer. Now you're ready to be a story editor. Now you're ready to be an executive story editor. And you're kind of just climbing up so that we can eventually show run our own shows. Mm-hmm. That That is the big thing is getting to, you know, because I think a lot of times you'll look up and it'll be, you know, a POC show. And then you're like, why is everyone behind the scenes? Why is the director? white? Why is the showrunner? white? I don't understand. And mm-hmm. Um, it's allowing us to get the same amount of experience, but right now they're having a lot of repeating levels, and a lot of times they'll hire. I've seen this before. They'll hire POC support staff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I feel better. I've definitely seen that happen on a couple of shows of like, no, 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 no. But like, we have all of this, and all. Their- <laughs> and then literally, I've had these conversations with showrunners where they'll say, um, "Well, they're so good at their job. They're so good at being an assistant, and so they just want to keep you there." so that has been an issue as well as far as us being even promoted so that we can go on to make our own shows but Stephen I'm I'm curious your your experience seeing that
2: yeah I mean I have a, a I have a couple things to say I think mm. one is that um it's hard for everyone to break in so I'm I'm gonna just I'm gonna go back just a couple of years you know I've I've been a working professional TV writer for eight years now. And when I was breaking in, one of the things that I was hearing quite often was that it was infinitely easier for black and brown and indigenous and and, and Asian writers to break in uh, because everyone wanted to increase their diversity. You know, That was sort of the, that was the word, that was the term that was being used. And so in this effort to, to have more inclusion, you know, DEI efforts suddenly increased. And so on the surface, it appeared that more people were breaking in. The other narrative that was connected to that, which that's another conversation is that it then became harder for specifically white straight cis men to break in. Um, That somehow we were taking their jobs, Mm -hmm. right? So that was the case that I was hearing again, eight years ago. Um, When I look out at the landscape now, even in the midst of what we are, what has been dubbed this golden age of television, and we certainly are seeing more content, I still would argue it isn't enough. And the numbers, even in these like micro gains, really uh, are not impacting folks in the way that we think they are. So, mm-hmm. admittedly. Again, as I said, it's difficult for everybody to break in. It's difficult, you know, obviously with smaller rooms and and shorter orders, we're not seeing folks move up as quickly. However, we need to actually just look at the quantitative data and be realistic and see what exactly is happening. So, you know, again, just to to be really caught up in the numbers, if you look at the WGA's inclusion and equity, equity report, which was released in 2022, These were the stats in 2020 for television writers. There were 40, and I'm rounding up percentages, about 45% of writers were women, 55% writers were men. In terms of breaking it down by race, BIPOC writers, 37%, white writers, 63%. Now, if you look at those stats and you break that down by specific levels, And then again, sticking with those four identity markers. So we've got BIPOC women, BIPOC men, white women and white men. When you look at those stats for specifically men of color, the place where our percentage is the highest is at the executive story editor level, which is still Mm. basically a low level writing position. For women of color, it's story editor. So Mm. we seem to be stuck in in the lowest level when you look at the stats for white women, their highest level is co-executive producer. For white men, their highest percentage is executive producer, Mm -hmm. followed by showrunner. So I think when you're looking at, um, when we're really breaking down the statistics and looking at where we're sort of occupying the most, it's to Danny's point, we're at the lowest levels, they're at the highest levels. And I think when we're looking at us being at the lowest levels, A, we have to question why that's happening, Like, why are we in these lowest levels? Why are we stuck there? What are the reasons? What are the systemic reasons for us being in those lowest levels? And why are we not moving up enough? Mm. So again, I think where we're seeing this proliferation of content and it's very easy to kind of espouse, we're seeing so many more diverse narratives now being told, I would still argue, right? But overall, in terms of the stats of the industry, that's telling a very different story.
0: You know, what people don't realize is the huge shift that goes from broadcast television to streaming. I have a friend who who worked on a show that actually transitioned from one to the other, and she broke down residuals and talked about how she received, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in residuals when the show was on broadcasting. And then when it switched to streaming, it was... Maybe a couple hundred dollars, and it was like, you know, how am I supposed to to live? Can you talk about the the vast difference in income there? I think that that's still a a, a confusing point for a lot of people, um, in terms of like, you know, wh- where's where has the money gone, and and why isn't it being distributed that way? Because I think everybody has this idea um, that TV is still the old way, and nothing has changed.
1: You know, Brittany Nichols, who's a strike captain, she's on Abbott Elementary has been really vocal about this. I mean, Abbott being such a successful show right now that she was talking about when it's on ABC, the difference between when it's on Hulu mm-hmm. and saying, you know, you, when her episode would re-air, if it's on ABC, you would normally get, let's say like 18 grand. And that would, that would last, you want people to understand, we're not saying that that's not a decent amount of money. You don't understand that that's lasting them until their, till their show comes back. Um, which might be the next year. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when we're talking about, oh, we made this much if money. If the show comes back. <laughs> the show comes back. Thank you, Steven. If the show comes back and it might not. And so you're waiting for, you're waiting for your season to get picked up. You're waiting to hear that and you're holding on to this money and you can't live a normal life. I think another thing that I realized as I started to do these interviews on the picket lines, just a really small tangent is I realized damn, I'm talking about surviving and I actually want us to thrive. Mm-hmm. I want our communities to not just survive. I want Brittany to go on vacation. I want right. her to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I want us to have a, a, a beautiful, successful life, not just be struggling to make ends meet. Cause a lot of people are like, well, you could maybe parse out 18K. And I'm like, in Los Angeles, there's no way. But yeah, there's no uh, way you're doing that in, you know, in New York. you shouldn't have to, you right. know, until her show comes back, which might be a year later. So anyways, that's the difference. But with it being on Hulu, a lot of times what we're seeing with our checks and people will post them and it's kind of been like a joke. And now we're like, this is not a joke anymore. They would get like 86 cents. That's why you seen a lot of SAG and, and WGA. It's like a, a dollar and two cents, you know, for your, for what you did on this, on this show, the difference in, um, and she said, I think it was about 5% is what they're getting uh, for this very, very, very successful show. Um, and so you can no longer, that's why we're saying it's not sustainable. You can no longer live here. You cannot afford rent. You, you're literally not even surviving.
2: Can I add an additional point to what you're saying, Danny, which is, you know, um, this this situation, this uh, case study with Britney and with Abbott is a, a bit of an outlier because Abbott obviously is a massive hit um, and but I'm thinking about the folks where, to your point, where they're on a show that either has been canceled or are, you know, there are gaps between seasons. Um, and so they then have to take that $18,000 residual check and, in addition to whatever monies they earn for, you know, a 15, 20 week room, and then they have to stretch that out for however long it's going to take to get the next job. And I think it's, one of the things for me that I I find is another complication to all of that is at what point do these writers have an opportunity to now stop and develop the next show, right? Mm. Quinta Brunson had the time to create Abbott Elementary, right? In the way that I had the time to create Pose, right? Like that was done while I was an MFA student at UCLA, you know, it's, but if I'm jumping from show to show or if my show just ended and, and now I'm, you know, depending on how much money I've made, depending on how long the room has gone, I'm now out there, you know, moving room through, you know, general meetings and, and meeting with showrunners, looking for the next job. Where do I now have the time and the bandwidth to create the next show? Right. You know, and I think that it, it's just, again, it's, it's created this really interesting system where a lot of folks I know are, they're either moving from job to job or they're in survival mode coming off of a job you know, and that doesn't necessarily breed an environment where Danny's going to be able to go off and create that next great Emmy award-winning hit. And,
0: and to, to your point where you mentioned like, you know, 10 to 20 week room, as opposed to the six week mini rooms that have been sort of going on. And, you know, when I've been online and I've talked about it, a lot of uh, folks of marginalized communities, have experiences with these mini rooms and um, having no health insurance and making very little money until the next job comes around. And I noticed that that's been a problem as well. Can you talk on that? Or do you have any experience about you know, being in a mini room or hearing about what that's like?
1: Yeah, I actually am in a really weird predicament where i've actually discovered that more this is becoming more and more common where i've now written on three different shows i've written on three warner brothers shows that either don't exist or i've been removed as a writer or one of them was a mini room or they had a mini room after us and they removed the original writers on it so i've now shows i've now had three shows that if you go to my imdb they don't exist so it's wild to be and i've developed and sold a few shows but it's i'm in a it i've now learned in speaking to my agents and my reps that this is actually very common now because i said i have I feel i have nothing to show and i'm on these panels and i'm talking to y'all and then you go to my mdb and you're like what has she done she hasn't done it and it's like no, no no i've written on these with these showrunners um, and they don't, so, so one of our shows that we, I wrote on, which was 2019 to 2020, um, we, uh, had great showrunners, Julie Pleck, who's, who's a huge showrunner, Amy chosick who's created multiple shows. Um, and, uh, they, we had a full writer's room. I think it was 26 plus weeks. Maybe, uh, there were at least 12 plus of us. Um, and, then a year or two later, it took a while for it to come out, a year or two later, they had a mini room just because it had taken so much time for it to come out and it moved um, It moved from Netflix to HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Max. Um, and so they had a mini room after us. So we were actually removed as the original writers on the episodes that we wrote. Um, and then I was in another mini room that was 10 weeks um, and... I felt, and the, sh- and the creator had also said that I was foundational in that room, and uh, we. I don't know if I'll have credit. I don't even know if it's gonna come out. So that's kind of a wild place, and we're taking these jobs because we obviously need the money. I needed the money in between these rooms, but I now am in a spot where I've written on three different shows that, do, that have not aired, or I am not listed as one of the writers, and that's something they can do with these mini rooms. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to say that that's because I used to think like what is wrong with me that everything I've written on hasn't come out and I've learned that that is this is becoming the norm and that's why we are striking. one of the reasons we're striking.
2: You know I think can I just add to that and say that I haven't had a I was in a mini room that only lasted two weeks but it it was connected to my overall deal and I think it was a charge off. So monetarily it didn't really impact me and I don't know that it did anyone else that was in that room either. But um, I do want to add that I think that, you know, the piece around mini rooms and the, to your point, Danny, the, the complications of it is that I don't think that the industry is putting industry, you know, we can sort of all determine who we, we feel uh, you know i'm referring to when i say that but puts enough value in the work that writers do Mm -hmm. and the truth is like it is a lot of labor to take nothing and come up with a kernel of an idea and develop that kernel of an idea into a full series Mm -hmm. right it's a lot and and becomes even more Mm -hmm. um Emotionally laborious, particularly when you're putting. I think, and I, I say that specifically because I'm thinking about you know, you know, my community. I'm thinking about queer and trans people. I'm thinking about Black and Brown people who are often like excising demons and really working through traumas, you know, and and finding ways to you know work through that on the page. That's a really long process, and I don't think that there's enough value put in the amount of effort that it takes to get to the point where there are words on a page. Mm-hmm. So I think to Danny's point where it's it's heartbreaking to hear we were in rooms and we're breaking stories and then those shows don't go or you know the the industry doesn't have a greater appreciation for that amount of work. You mm-hmm. know that was something that was a real issue for me when I was on an overall which is I understand the way that the industry works which is we just want content. Mm -hmm. right and so it's where is the show that you know where is the script that we love where is the series that that we can support so that we can go make it and we can you know put it out on our airwaves but it's like yeah but we have to think about the weeks months in some cases years that it takes to get to the place where you have the story and there isn't any value I don't know how you put a monetary value on that but I just don't think there is any value put on that period of time where you're, you know, in gestation and you're coming up with a with a concept and an idea.
0: I'm wondering how long because I think, you know, a lot of people have talked about how much longer can everyone go on for or you know, how much longer is it going to take and the force majeure and you know you know, CEOs trying to starve writers out. And with the two of you, you know, existing at various intersections, Danny, I know you're also an actress and Steven, you're a director. So, you know, you're, you're in, you're in between all of these different unions who are considering strikes. I mean, that has to be stressful um, in some ways.
2: It's a real ethical choice. Uh-huh. And I know that that's that's hard those are hard decisions to make when we're talking about people's livelihood because I understand that there are folks on the picket line right now who probably are down da- down to those last dollars in their bank account, right? So they really they they really cannot afford to continue to have this go any longer. But again, it's like where do you how do you attach a dollar amount to your value and to your, you know, your creative output? and i think that that to me is again it's it's really an ethical issue and in my mind all of the unions are on the right side of it mm-hmm. i understand that it's hard to hold out but i think what we're the conversations at least that i've been having and at least it's just my own personal opinion is we are valuable you know we wouldn't have an industry if you didn't have all of these incredible craftspeople, right we need the writers and the directors and the producers and the actors you know in the same way that we need our you know grips and electricians Mm -hmm. and we need the folks in hair and makeup and costuming and so like everyone is so integral and important and so it's pay us our worth you know pay us and that for me is the thing is it's just it's a it's a real choice around do you say fine? We're okay taking the scraps, or saying no, we're gonna hold the line until you actually value, hear what we're saying and value, you know, really value what we offer and what we provide.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: With the issues with AI, I mean, being in SAG, I I made a video where I was like, it's now or never. It's now or never. You we cannot go back, we cannot accept scraps as Steven is saying, and then go back and try to renegotiate once this this genie is out of the bottle once we're you know and i've already seen that with vo we've we've we're seeing that more with with um actors and with writers i mean that's why we have such a big intersection and same same with the dga to be honest it's why we have such a big intersection is just this lack of um i also want to say that ai is using what we've created mm. it's it, in order to make something you're putting in you're putting in artwork you're putting in uh scripts from from beloved script write uh screenwriters to get that so they're mm-hmm. stealing i want to say that but basically you know it was uh no brainer for me for for sag and and when i saw our strike authorization i like cried <laughs> i cried because i was like i'm i'm so we need this it's all hands on deck we need this and we're all in this together and um i truly believe like you know, AI, I saw this great quote that it should be used as a tool to help us, not to replace us. Mm-hmm. And so that's so it was a no-brainer for me. And I'm I'm so glad that so many people have been out there with us. Um, because I it is now or never for me. That's how I feel.
0: And coming out the other side of 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 this and the strike, um, you know, the answer is obvious, but from you from your own words, what do you hope to see? Um as far as monetary wise, you know, ethically, you know, whatever you can think about on the other side of this um, being a win for the working person.
2: I think for me, I would say, I think one of the biggest wins, I I just want to go back to several weeks ago, um, a couple of the affinity groups within the WGA had gatherings. So at Universal, there was a gathering of Latine writers, and then several days later, there were there was a gathering of Black writers at Paramount, and and I attended both, and it was so incredible to be in community. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things I said specifically when I was with um a couple of friends at Paramount during the Black Writers gathering was, was like the industry would have us believe. That there aren't that many of us. Right. so hysterical to be in the to be in community and to be like, there's a ton of us. Mm-hmm. There's so many people here. You know, there was the gathering was massive. Um, and you know, and so it is equal parts beautiful to be in community, um, and also heartbreaking to know that we're just often not seen and not heard, you know? And so I think for me, one of the beautiful parts and one of the benefits of of this current strike was just that reminder that we're here. We've always been here. We're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hope, you know, it's it's very Pollyanna, but, you know, my desire is that coming out of this, that we will see more content and those stats that I read out earlier that will start to see those numbers increase mm. in the next couple of years it's like at this point like we're not in the shadows anymore mm. you know it's like this sort of pulled the lid off on a lot of the things that I think I will say that I took for granted it's like yeah I guess there really aren't that many of us pursuing this and it's like no no that's actually not the case at all yeah. You know, and and again when you turn on all of those as you pointed out the broadcast and cable and streaming networks, they're telling on themselves. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of us here, you know, so it really just comes down to opportunity. And I think that coming out of this, I don't know that we all are going to be taking no as an answer anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you both for for coming on and chatting with me. You really kind of blew my mind with some of the stuff because you know everybody's perspective is different but when we start getting into the to the bipart the bipart um of it all and and we start talking about um you know disabled communities and other folks who write i mean it's it's the the story is always very different and so it's good to 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 hear like the honest perspectives from you guys um and you know I'm out there on I went to the pride picket you know when I was in LA it was a huge group of people and I'm always out there whenever I can be uh to to lend solidarity so thank you thank you so much I really appreciate it